So if you can go to your classes that direction, Grandma Kathy's back there waiting for you. And uh, we're going to start a new series tonight out of Acts chapter 3, if you want to turn there with me in your Bible. And, uh, you know, the power of being a pastor is repetition. It really is. I mean, we got lots of folks that come in and they'll preach their, you know, and that's okay. I mean, they preach their message that's their message, you know, the thing God's given them. But in pastoral preaching, I get the opportunity to preach all the time, lots of times. Have, of course, others that are filling in now and helping out that we're training up. But um, there's a lot of repetition. I mean, 25 years of preaching, there's lots of sermons I've preached the same time, same way. But they're not the same because you've changed and I've changed. Amen? So things become, they just become different. I mean, I've, got, I've gotten out a message that I preached way, way back. One Jeff really, uh, really liked was about uh, that he was, uh, was uh, wasn't it Elijah? And uh, it really challenged him. And I was like, did I really say that? That was awesome, man. I was, he was like telling me some quote. I was like, man, I got to go back and listen to my own series to get blessed. Amen. Because, you know, it's not, it's just like the meals you eat. You probably don't know what you ate last Saturday, right? But it was good. It filled you up. Amen. And then you moved on to Sunday morning breakfast, right? So, amen. So, you know, it's, it's, that's, that's the great opportunity. So God and me cooked up something good for you tonight. Hallelujah. Shout out a favorite meal of yours that you like having at your house. What'd you say? I didn't hear you, Tina. Fried eggs. Okay, cool. Steak. Yeah, that's a given, right? What else? What's a good, huh? Venison. Oh, yeah, good. What? Bacon and eggs, man. I can smell it now. Lasagna. Yell at another one. Fish. Get out of here. You don't like fish. Fish. Are we talking about fish like coated like and fried in a pan? Or are we talking about broiled fish that's... You can taste what lake it came out of. Your wife? Yeah. So, you know, when you get an opportunity, there's certain things that you'll request, right? You're like somebody says, well, what's your favorite meal? You know, it's your birthday or whatever. And say, hey, well, I want... Sharon makes great lasagna. I can't eat it, but it's really awesome. My kids all love it. Whenever we, they ask for a special meal, lasagna is the meal. They always ask for the same thing. So uh, I'm going to bring my lasagna sermon tonight in this series. But I really felt strong about this because I believe that there is a revival that's happening in, our na- in, a, in the world. I don't want to say in our nation. And uh, Dr. Barkley hit on this the other night when he shared. Didn't he do a great job? I mean, just... Wow, what a powerful, a powerful message he brought. And uh, he knows, I mean, when we started, you know, he's, his ministry, I've known him a long, long time and, uh, and uh, over 30 years now. And uh, here's, here's how God uses him because he's a prophet. And a prophet, when everything's going good, a prophet will tell you it's about to get bad. Because see, when things get good, people get sloppy. That's good preaching. Amen. And then when everything's bad, guess what the prophet's telling you? It's going to get real good here. Get ready. 
They're always looking ahead. You know, uh, on the hand, if you take the five-fold ministry, the prophet is the pointing finger. They're always pointing to where God is going, what God is doing. And so, you know, I mean, in our world right now, there's chaos. I mean, and if you spend all your time, I mean, I heard today North Korea fired off another missile over Japan. And, you know, there's, there's other stuff that's happening in the world. These, you know, bless these folks in Florida. And we've got some folks here tonight from Florida. And I mean, just the... So I have friends that are there. Len Hood, he lives in Port St. Lucie, which is on the which is on the eastern coast. And I talked to him and he says, Yeah, I'm heading to Tampa. And then the then the hurricane shifted towards Tampa. So I don't know if it was trying to follow him or what the deal was, but but uh Irma was after Hood. And so uh but uh you know, so he turned around and went back home. And of course his stuff he didn't have much damage at all on the east side. But you know, there's stuff happening around us all the time, and we we could be bombarded by it. I mean, all of the all of the news and information that's coming at us on a nonstop basis on our car, in our vehicles, in our homes, and if we don't watch out, what we're doing is we're getting caught up into what's happening out here instead of what God is trying to do in here and in His church. And there are some really powerful things that are happening right now in the church of God, in, in Christ's church. And so I want us to be prepped, ready for all that God wants to do. Amen. I have always been the kind of believer that when I got in, I want it all. I don't want to just like come up and just get a dab is not going to do me. And, um, and uh, so I want all of what the Lord wants to do. So I'm, I'm calling this series a vision of revival And it's really just laying out what I believe scripturally is sort of the foundational keys for us to experience revival in our church and in our own personal lives. And so I'm in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Acts 3, 19. And uh, Peter is delivering this sermon after the the lame man was cured. And uh, they were asking him questions about it. And now he's about to give his his sermon to, to bring the gospel to them and really challenge them. And I... So I I want you to see this, and then I'm going to ask you to write some things down here. Verse 19, repent, Peter said, repent you therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution or the times of restoration of all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So there's three things he talks about here. One is repentance. Two is he talks about refreshing. And then three, he talks about restoration. Restoration. Now, in our natural thinking, we would just like to skip all those and get to restoration, right? I mean, that's the way we would operate. We'd be like, well, look, let's not have to deal with repentance. Why we got to do that? to get to refreshing and then from refreshing to the restoration of what God wants to bring in our life. But God has a procedure and a plan that he operates through us and in us and, and with us. And, 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 it's very, and it's, it's vital that we understand that plan. He says, look, you need to repent and be converted, he's telling these folks. Repent and be converted so that you can experience the fullness of the refreshing. Now, we're not going to talk about the refreshing this week. We'll get into that next week. But I want to talk about, and then we'll get into restoration, but I want to talk about, I want to talk about repentance. And to talk about repentance, we have to talk about sin. 
And I know that, you know, always our posture, you know, the, it, depending on where we're at, we're like, oh, he's going to talk about sin. Here we go. Or he's going to talk about sin. Good, that person over there needs to hear this tonight. Right? Okay. And, and, and listen, repentance has gotten a bad rap in the church because we need, re, we need repentance. Because, listen, repentance, truthfully, is one of the key foundational things you need to build a relationship with God. Now, you know, Sharon and I are married, and I mean, we deeply love each other. We're celebrating uh, 35 years of, 36 years, sorry, as of August, 36 years of marriage. And you know what? In that 36 years, she has had to repent a lot to me. A lot. You know, she lost her temper. She was in a bad mood. She uh, was anxious about something. She didn't like something I did. She didn't like how I looked at her. She didn't, I wasn't paying attention. And she yelled at me. And then I could talk about all my stuff, but I'd rather talk about all her stuff. So, right? But no, look, do you think in our relationship, no matter how much we love each other, that we have had to apologize to each other, that we have had to repent? Now, the word repent, and just so you, as you're writing, if you're writing down notes tonight, the word repent uh, doesn't mean to be sorry. Doesn't mean to be sorry. Because, see, you can be sorry for something and go right back and do it again. You're just sorry for the moment. And a lot of people, when they repent, they're just sorry they got caught. So, and uh, amen, Pastor. Thank you. That was really good. No, they just don't like it that they've had to, I'm really sorry. Well, godliness leads to repentance, obviously. So in God's relationship with us, it leads us into places of repentance in our lives where whether we're not a Christian and we're coming to Christ or we are a Christian and we have done things and violated our relationship with God or somehow we have missed the mark here with what God wants, that repentance is going to be a part of our lives. Repentance, look, I'm better than I used to be as a husband. I'm way better. Mark, are you a better husband than you were when you started out? I mean, you're, you got to be a lot better. I mean, you know, I mean, Dara, are you a better wife than when you started out? You're way better. But has there had to have been apologies, repentance? Absolutely there has had to be, you know, that we just don't know. And so, and then sometimes we do know and we don't care. We do the wrong thing. You know, I know that Sharon needs me to pay attention to her when she's talking to me, but sometimes I have a problem paying attention. How many of you men would say that's me too? Well, yeah, it's just, I know that, it, I know it bothers her. And, but yet, for whatever reason, I know the best thing to do is to turn the television set off or stop doing what I'm doing and just talk with her. But sometimes I just don't do it. And she knows it and she can see that I'm not doing it. And then I have to finally just get to the place where after she said three or four times, what did I just say, that uh, I need to, somebody must need to hear about marriage relationships. Jeannie was on it, I'm on it. But uh, it's just a thing that there's going to be repentance in our relationship. But repentance, here's the power of it. It isn't being sorry. Repentance is that I am going to turn away from it. I'm not going to be that. I'm making a determination 
to turn away from that. Okay? Now, as Christians, we're taught about repentance usually, you know, in the church. We, and, and so we all have this history of understanding of repentance. But remember, if you're turning away from something, this is where the church really screwed up, is, is that we're not turning just away from it. We're turning to something. So if all we do is turn away, what are you turning away from to, right? Because if you don't have something better to turn to, then you're going to turn back to where you were. Right? So, you know, I can be sorry and I can turn away from it, but I've got to realize and what I've got to understand is as I turn, as I turn to Christ, Jesus will always have something better. Right. Will always have something better. Now, um, in my life, just kind of give you an example of this, uh, in my life as an alcoholic, and I mean, I drank and I drank till I almost killed myself. Now, when I came to Christ, I turned away from that. I turned away from it. And I turned to Christ. What I have found is, is that Jesus has something better than alcohol. You think about all the reasons people talk about why to drink. And I'm not preaching against alcohol tonight, so don't think that's what I'm doing, okay? Because I'm not. But Okay, why are you drinking wine? I drink a glass of wine to relax. Well, let me ask you about the things that God offers to us to relax. See, my Bible tells me that there is a peace that passes all understanding. Right? So there is a peace that we can experience in our life that exceeds whatever a wine bottle could give us. And like I said, I'm not preaching against alcohol. I'm just telling you that uh, there are things that God, when we turn to God, has far better resources. How about being filled with the Holy Spirit? You know, I mean, I've, I've seen people that just like every care left their life when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so all those possibilities are available to us in God. The problem is we're carnal, and so we're more used to just doing natural things to get to, the, to, get to that end. Right? I mean, it's a lot easier to bust open a bottle than it is to spirit, yeah, to go, get on my, go before God and say, Lord, I need you to fill me with and have faith and believe that he'll fill me with his spirit. That's good preaching, Pastor. You know, I mean, look, infidelity can be a blast. I don't know personally about that, but I'm just saying that you could have a lot of fun. Sin is always pleasurable for a season, but in the end, the bite on it is way worse than anything you experience, um, that you'll experience in that pleasure. But here's what I know. When I turned away from uh, promiscuity and I turned away from fornication and I turned away from adultery coming to Christ, I turned to something much better, and that's God's plan for marriage which is way better, which is way better. There is a divine, holy connection that happens between a husband and wife when they are absolutely committed to each other and to Christ. It's, it's supernatural. It goes beyond the natural. Now, it's a lot easier to just think, well, you know, just the quick gratifications, the, the quick emotional fills, the, all the different things that go with it that I'll just run around and get whatever I want. And because... To get this kind of relationship to be at the level that it needs to be is a spiritual work that has to happen. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is spiritual work that has to happen in that relationship. 
And you always have to remember this about your, you know, if you're here tonight and you're like, well, my spouse isn't on board with any of this. Well, here's the deal. You're not fighting your spouse. It's a spiritual battle. So you do your part, the spiritual warfare, and pray, and you pray for them, and you pray for them every day, and you pray not your will be done, but God's will be done. Thank you, Pastor. That's really awesome. Amen. And so you pray for them, and then you leave that in God's hand to do his work in their life. You can't, look, you're not going to change them by manipulate. Anything you have to manipulate to make happen, you will have to continue to manipulate. Now listen, and escalate to continue that manipulation. So whatever level of manipulation that you offer to get something, you will have to escalate the level of manipulation to be able to keep that momentum going. With God, he doesn't have to escalate it because he does transformation. Transformation isn't manipulation. Transformation is brand new person. Hallelujah. Amen. Good word, pastor. Amen. Amen. So repentance, turn away. Now he says, look, what we have to do to experience the true refreshing, which we'll get into next week, is repent, therefore, and be converted to turn the word converted means to turn again in the, in the uh, Greek language. So I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll, we'll dig into this a little bit. And, um, and like I said, you know, I know sometimes we get in church and we hear about sin and we're like, oh my gosh, here we go. But, but see, you're looking at sin. When, when you and I, when we struggle hearing about sin, even if we're rejoicing that somebody's here, that they're hearing about a sin that they're committing and we know it and they need to change, what we're doing is we are taking a total religious view of what sin is, okay? We're taking a total religious view. Let's walk through this a minute. Old Testament, somebody sinned, what did they have to do? Bring a sacrifice, right? And if their sacrifice was acceptable, because not all sacrifices were acceptable, and there were requirements that had to be fulfilled. So, you know, let's say Mark has sinned. So in the Old Testament, what Mark would do is he'd go down, he'd either buy an animal, or he would wait till he got to the temple, buy an animal, okay? And he would take that animal in, and then they would make that sacrifice, and he would pray repentance that God would forgive him. Okay, so now what Mark has to rest in is, is that his sacrifice was good enough and God's promised that if he did it from his heart and he meant what he was doing, then his sacrifice was accepted by God and he's forgiven for the sins that he's committed. Okay, now in the New Testament, here's the question we have to ask. What is the sacrifice that we offer for our sins? We don't, because we don't have one. And the reason we don't have one is because it was the person, Jesus Christ, who bore our sin, your sin, for you. So now, and this is really, really important. You'll see how this religious idea and the relational idea have gotten so far apart from each other. In the religious idea, if I do enough and say enough and act right, then I get forgiven. A choice is being made every time I offer every time I offer a sacrifice. Is that right? Everybody agree with that? So there's a choice being made by God and the priest whether I actually did good enough to receive forgiveness. In the New Testament, 
The Bible says that God made him, and this is out of 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So here's what's happened now. You and I don't have to run a sacrifice up and give it to Jesus has already become that sacrifice. Now listen, so when did God decide to forgive you? When did God decide to forgive you? When the sacrifice was acceptable. When was this? Not your sacrifice. Because look, yours is never going to be good enough. Yours is just a type and a shadow. So when is the sacrifice, when did God say, acceptable? At the cross. Because it was there that he became, see some of you are getting this now. See how far relationship and religion are? Religion's over here like, well I got to beat myself down and hurt myself and be, you know, just mentally put myself through exercises of how unworthy and how not good I am and how bad I've been. And God and relationship says, no, look, man, I already decided. You know, it's the difference between what the prodigal son was like and the older son. The older son based everything he had with his dad on what he did. The prodigal son, when he came home, he didn't base it off anything he did. He based it all off on what the father was. See, when you and I, when we, it's, and I know this will start raising some questions, and that's good. That's what I want it to do. God made the choice already to forgive you. Okay? He made the choice. Well, I have to ask for forgiveness. You have to confess your sins. He's already, you don't have to ask. See, to ask means that you're saying, make a choice. Right? You know, like you tell your kid comes to ask you something, you say, go ask your mother, <laughs> right? Or ask your, ask your dad. What are you doing? You're, you're looking for permission, right? You're looking for acceptance. You're looking for a choice to be made. See, we tell people that, well, you need to ask God to forgive you. You don't have to ask God to forgive you. You say, well, that, that scares me because I was brought up that, you know, we need to like, because people will just sin freely because of you're telling them they don't have to ask anymore. And I'm telling you that that's why people do sin freely is because they feel like they have to ask all the time. Because see, when you live in a sin conscious environment, you never are sure where you stand with God, so you will never attain to what God has called you to. You will always fall back to where you've been. Because you, because you really haven't, because you, you, you're not understanding the fullness of what he's done. He's forgiven you. He already, so I say, well, you need to ask God to forgive you right now. Wait. If he already paid the sacrifice and Father said, and Jesus himself said from on the earth, it is finished, right? 
And the father, and according to the book of Hebrews, we won't dig into this tonight, but it said that that was an acceptable sacrifice of his own son, that if that's the case, then how many years ago, 2000 and 2000 some years ago, close to that anyways, God already chose to forgive you. Already. You say, well, I don't feel forgiven. Well, there's a problem there. Because see, here's the thing. Because we're so entrenched in our carnal thinking and our emotions run so deep that we have not yet bought into the fullness of who God is in our lives. And we, and we have not bought into who God is in our lives because we have not bought into who we are in God today. And see, the realization is, is that when you and I get to that place where we realize who we really are. See, the devil never wants you to figure out who you really are. Because once you figure out who you are, then you know what belongs to you. So if I keep you guessing about what, who you are, you'll, you'll just edge in and out of, well, I think that belongs to me. You know, it's like... Look, I have every right as a God, as a born-again, blood-bought believer that's been forgiven thousands of years ago, a child of God, to declare that my tithes and offerings open the window of heaven, pour out a blessing, not room enough for me to receive it. And that the devourer is rebuked for my sake. I have every right to believe that every single day, not have any doubt. You say, well, what if it doesn't look? Who cares whether it looks like it or not? It doesn't really matter because the declaration from heaven is heaven's open, blessings poured, devourer rebuked. Can you say amen? Amen. And I don't care what everybody else says or even what it looks like around me because the truth is what God has said. There may be some facts that look a little different, but look, the truth is, because fact will always surrender to truth, always surrender to truth. Amen. Thank you. So did you find Ephesians 2? I know I had you look a long time ago. Hope I'm helping you tonight. Of course, I really just want to make you think. That's all I really want to do. You know, church has got, people in church got to start thinking. I mean, it's got to, I mean, we got to think about, we got to think about what God has really done. Because, see, that's really going to be the power. That's where the renewed mind comes is that we start realizing this is who God is. This is what God has said. This is what God has said is mine. And like I said, the devil's over here just fighting tooth and nail. And your old and unregenerate nature that used to be under that control is fighting to keep you in bondage. Keep you in a bondage to, to some kind of ideal that you're not accepted by God, you're not good enough, you're not worthy. And this kind of stuff has permeated the church. I mean, just has infiltrated in such a horrible way. And so the reflection is, is that from week to week, we're just not real sure where we stand with God. The hardest thing I deal with as a pastor is getting someone from accepting Christ to understanding that Christ accepts them. And sometimes, and it, and it takes time sometimes. I mean, we have services. I remember one guy in particular here that comes to church, and it, it seemed like every week he was asking Jesus into his life. And he would pray the sinner's prayer with us, you know, and, and, and Lord, I, I turn to you and go through the whole prayer. And he was absolutely sincere. And then he'd come back the next week, and he'd pray the same 
raise his hand or look at me and pray the same prayer and come back the next week and did the exact same thing. And it just seemed to be happening and happening and happening. But then one day he didn't do it. And I knew something was starting to change inside of him. Because now he's not just thinking about that he needs to, he needs to turn to Jesus. He's now realizing Jesus has turned to him. Amen. He has a relationship with Christ now. Amen. And that really happened because he started getting into the word. When you start reading the Bible, instead of carrying it around with you or setting it on your desk at home or on the shelf, when you start actually reading the pages of it, then you start finding out all of a sudden, wow, God, wow, I got, a really, I got some really powerful stuff. You start learning about what belongs to you. And that, my friend, makes you extremely dangerous to your enemy. Your adversaries do not want you to find out who you are. So we're going to smack you around and tell you you're nobody and tell you you can't do nothing and tell you that you're alone and tell you nobody cares and tell you that God hasn't decided whether he'll forgive you yet and keep you in bondage to a past divorce, keep you in bondage to a past affair, keep you in bondage to when you didn't tithe, We'll just keep you in bondage to it so that you never wonder, you're never sure where you actually stand with God. Man, this is good preaching. Ephesians 2. (laughs) And you, look at your neighbor and say he's talking about you right now. Yeah, we're going to talk about you. And you, Hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins? All right, so let's let's break it down now. First of all, let's talk about dead. Dead is not the cessation of life, okay? Dead is the separation from life. Dead is not the cessation of life. You know, when someone dies, like uh, we were, we went to a funeral home today. There's a person in a casket. they're dead. But what are they dead to? They're separated now from us. Right? But they haven't ceased to exist. Have they? No, they're still very much, their, their, their spirit, life, their soul is still very much alive. It's not in the room. It's either if they believed on Christ, it's in heaven because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord, with the Lord or their spirit. If they haven't received Christ in their life, God has no choice but to allow them to go to hell. And not that that's what he wants, but that's the choice. You know, we only have this life to make that choice. Once we are separated from this body, whatever choice we have made, we're going to have to live with the rest of eternity. I don't know why anyone wouldn't receive Christ, except that the church has just made them all think they got to give up stuff to receive Christ. We did a really good job of that, you know. Well, you got to give up nipping, dipping, and sipping, buddy, if you're going to become a Christian. I'm telling you right now, because you can't be a Christian and do all that kind of stuff. I'm going to tell you that nipping, dipping, and sipping has nothing to do with your Christianity. I'm not advocating any of it. What I'm saying is God's got better stuff than nipping, dipping, and Sipping. Amen, Pastor. That's good preaching. Well, I have to, you know, the Bible says encourage yourself in the Lord. So, <laughs> thanks. 
So when we're dead, right, dead is not the cessation of life. It is the separation from life. So when we see a dead body, we look at it and go, okay, I am separated from them. Okay, they're not here now. I can't, I see that body, but that's not, that's not them. And so, I mean, that's just what's left over. So when we understand that, we understand how that you and I, that we were dead in trespasses and sins. All that means is not that we didn't exist to God, but that we were separated from God. Okay? See, the Old Testament believer had to do everything by the natural standard. The New Testament believer is supposed to operate by the spiritual standard. In the Old Testament, it was all about bring the sacrifice. In the Old Testament, it was all about you got to do this. You got to jump through these hoops. You got to follow all the laws. If you fail in one of them, that's it. You blew it. You're back to, you're back to zero again. In the New Testament, Christ paid the price. You and I have a relationship with him. And even though we were dead at one point in our trespasses and sins, now he says we have been made, we have been made alive. We have been made alive by Christ Jesus. If you look at verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, he hath quickened us together with Christ by grace you are saved and hath raised us up together and made, <clears throat> excuse me and made us sit together made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come verse 7 he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus so in understanding how this grace is at work in our lives and this this power of God and this what God has done for you and I we come to the realization that he has made me alive even though I was separated. Now, what can separate me from God? Well, I know we say, we'll say sometimes, well, only you can separate yourself from God. But that isn't even true. Because God isn't going to let go of you. He'll hound you and bring people across your path. And you remember that about your kids, you know, that have walked away from God. They didn't walk. God isn't gone. He's still very much present there. He's still working. You, you don't see it. You don't know about it. The devil makes sure you know every bad report. He don't want you to hear no good report for crying out loud. Why would he want you to know a good report? If you found out about a good report, you might be a little encouraged. No, God's working. I'm telling you right now, he's working. He's working behind the scenes. He's bringing people into their lives, co-workers that are saying stuff to them. They turn on. Look at how much God worked on you, friend. Come on. I mean, you tried to, you, he got people, you watch, turn the TV set on, something was on there that got you. You turn the radio on, something get the newspaper. You, I mean, a magazine article. You're trying to, you know, just forget about all that and God's never going to let you go. Because he wants to have that relationship with you. You were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. See, sin shouldn't be a bad word in the church. It shouldn't be a bad word. And we shouldn't beat people down because they, they, because they sin. I mean, sin isn't a good thing, but sin is the struggle that we will deal with. And we're better to work it out than in your church with your church family. That I'm working through this. You know, when, I, when I, I told you that I turned away from alcohol and turned to God, well, I'd love to be able to tell you that was an overnight thing that happened. 
You know, I heard this one guy, his name was Mendez. He was preaching. Sharon and I were down, um, were down in Roma, Texas. We had gone to McAllen to this full gospel businessman's meeting. You probably remember this guy. And uh, he was a drug addict. I mean, big time drug addict. And I'm like, this guy, I mean, he's, he's selling, he's using, he's, I mean, his life's a mess. And he goes to Teen Challenge, okay? And while he's at Teen Challenge, they lead him to Christ. And then they gather around him and they lay hands on him and he gets completely delivered from all alcohol and drugs. And I mean, it is such a phenomenal, and I mean, he tells her, I have never turned back. I've always walked. I've continued to walk with God. And I'm listening to his story. And, I, and when I heard it, Sharon and I were sitting there and I'm thinking, well, you know, uh, I feel a little cheated, God, because that isn't how you did me. Because mine was like, go along, go along, how many of you know what I'm talking about right now? I'm like crashing and burning and I'm getting up and I'm like, oh, you know, Lord, here I am again. And, you know, and, and, the, and here's what the Lord said to me. He said, listen, because you've worked hard in your spiritual faith to get to where you are, you have a greater understanding of what it took and you have a greater appreciation for where you've been. Mine was every morning, man, when I was in college, I made a determination I was going to read 10 chapters out of the Bible every single day. And, you know, that's with all the other course load that I had and playing basketball, which took at least three to four hours a day in college. So I'd get up. I'd have my first class at 8 o'clock. I hated 8 o'clock. You know, when you're in college, you hate 8 o'clock class. I don't care. if Even if you're an early riser, you hate 8 o'clock class. And... Uh, you used to, we used to be able to go to the uh, commissary and buy one of these cups about that big and put coffee in it for class. I mean, you could bring it to, I, and I needed every bit of it. And so I go to that, well, to, to do what I needed to do, I needed to get up at 5.30 in the morning. So I woke up at 5, I set my alarm at 5.30, and, uh, and, and then I'd, I'd sit down for an hour and, and read my Bible. I mean, I'd just sit there at my desk. And Sharon saw that Bible. I mean, it was marked. I mean, it had blue and green and yellow. And I mean, it was marked from, it was a New American Standard Bible that my uncle had given to me, my uncle and aunt had given to me when I went to college. And I mean, I marked that thing from one end to the other. And then I went back through it and marked it again and then went through it and marked it because I was just kept reading through 10 chapters a day. That was my reading program. And I mean, something was happening though. I'm, I'm serious. Something was happening inside of me. As I began to read the scriptures, what happened inside of me was I became dead to the old Richard Jolliffe and I became alive to God. I became separated from who I was to alive to who I am. And see, when that happens in your life, you say, well, well, pastor, I mean, come on. I would just rather, why don't you just lay hands? See, I know that's that's what we want. We, we're just, you know, it's, it's the same deal just like with our diet. Just give me a pill that'll make me lose 30 pounds. Come on. Don't make me work for nothing, right? I don't want to work for it. Just give, just give me the lottery numbers, God. You know, 5, 7, 10, 12, 13, okay, 45, yes, yeah, 6, okay, 3, 2. You're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. And so what happens in, in our lives is that God says, look, you're going to have to listen to this passage now. Work out your own salvation. 
Well, I'm already saved. Yeah, now let's work it out. Work out your own salvation, and he tells you, with fear and trembling. Meaning, honor this. Look, it's part of the process. We, we shouldn't feel bad about it. We shouldn't feel, you know, people come and we, we want to put on this hypocritical face like everything's cool in my life and I got my act together. And, you know, and look, we can all do that for an hour and a half. Right? <laughs> yeah. We can all do that for, you know, a couple hours. But then what happens when we leave? What happens when we go home tonight? What happens on our drive home? What happens tomorrow at work? What happens the next day? Who are we then? And so my challenge, and just what I encourage you about, and like I said, I'm not, I'm not, I, I, I don't see sin as a bad, as a, I mean, it, it, it definitely can work in our lives to take us further from God if we allow it to. But repentance is such a powerful thing. We should be, look, if, I, if you blow it, repent instantly. God, I turn away from this. You say, well, what if I do it a whole bunch of times? Then keep repenting. But don't just turn from what you did. Turn to the scriptures. Turn to God. Turn to his word. You know, begin to get into, get into what he says. You know, get good faith-filled stuff coming into your life. You know, uh, Brother Copeland's got a powerful network that you can watch online for free. I mean, on your phone, you can get the apps, the tablet apps. I mean, you can put that on in the morning instead of blue despair and agony on me, and and you could really find victory in your in your heart. I mean, really powerful. And Brother Copeland is very very serious about who he allows on his network. And uh, so, you know, there's not going to be no hokey, weird stuff. You're going to hear the word. It'll change your life. Hallelujah. I am what I am today. I have become what I've become today in Christ because of the time that I spent in the word of God. Now, today in my life, I mean, it's such an important part of my life every day. I mean, you know, there's a few days I might miss it, but, but I spend time with God. And in 20 years, my relationship with God is going to grow so much more because I'm still finding out that this is not Richard Jolliffe. This is Richard Jolliffe over here. I'll stop in a second. (laughs) The greatest battles you'll deal with, the greatest battles you'll deal with are those emotional thoughts that you have. And you have to combat them. Remember, an emotion, the, the, the problem with a memory is, is that it is a thought that is embraced in emotion. So there's a feeling that goes with it. You know, if you look, I don't want to get too deep into this, but if you, if you, if you watched pornography, you didn't just have thoughts of pornography. You had the emotions that go along with that, the lust that is there. The desire that is there, it all came out emotion. It's all going to emotionally. And so not only the problem now is, is that not only did your emotions react, but your brain reacted to it. And so chemicals have been now released in your brain, endorphins and, and all the stuff that goes with it. And what ends up happening is those things can become an active, permanent part of your life unless you become transformed through the renewal of your mind. And that takes time. We have to allow God by his Holy Spirit to work in us. So I'm not, I'm not promising instant results. I, I, if you came to church for instant results, there, I, I'm not promising that. 
But the journey is a blast. I love the journey I'm on. The discovery of who God is. I got, I'm, it's, it, it makes me feel young that I'm still learning. Amen? Let me be 60 and I'm still learning. Praise the Lord. I mean, at what age do you have it all figured out? When you're dead. Right? Because now you're with God, so you got it all figured out. So until then, you got a lot to learn and a lot to work on. Stand up with me if you would. Amen. Thank you, Father God. Lord, I pray tonight, Lord, that in our lives we would hunger for your word. Your word, according to the psalmist, is a lamp to my feet and it is a light to my path. Mm, yeah. Your word. Lord, you said in the Psalms, how shall a young man cleanse his way? By doing your will, O oh God. Lord, may that be true for all of us. Thank you, Lord, that we do not have to wonder whether we're forgiven for what we have done. That tonight we don't have to leave this place wondering whether you're going to choose to let us be forgiven. You already chose through Christ. That we don't have any sacrifice to bring except the sacrifice of praise, thanking you for what you have done already for us. And God, that our part is just to believe by faith and receive what you have done. Lord, I thank you tonight. I know there is someone here tonight that this will be a, a turning point in their spiritual life. They'll stop beating themselves up for what they've done. And Lord God, they'll begin to build and renew their mind by what you have done in them. And I thank you for that. We give you glory and praise for it in advance, in Jesus' name. And all those agreed said, amen. amen. All right. Have a great